up, everyone? Welcome back to a new episode of the Pro Hope Podcast. I am your host, Henda Jai, and today we are joined by Dr. Donna, sex and relationship therapist, to talk all things about sex and therapy, mental health, how Black women can just unlock all the barriers to being, you said, to, to finding freedom and being fucked, basically. So we are here to talk all things about the uh, intersection of therapy and mental health and freeing yourself and allowing yourself to find liberation for yourself, defining what that means for you, and just having the most incredible sexual identity while we're on this earth, because we ain't here for long, so we might as well be, you know, doing it right. <laughs> so welcome, Dr. Donna. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yes, likewise. Same, same. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became a therapist, and particularly, why did you decide to focus on sexuality and sexual identity? I like to say it's because people kept telling me their business, but I learned. <laughs> when I started off, I really wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. <laughs> No, my parents wanted that. Um, it's what I was taught to want, to desire. So I was going for law. And by accident, I, I feel like accident on purpose. I don't know, kismet. I was assigned to a specific teacher in my high school who did AP psychology. So I was her teacher's aide or something like that. And I got really into psychology from there. Decided that I'm, I'm switching. I'm going psychology, full psychology. So I, my undergrad was a psychology degree at Morgan State University. And from there, I was like, but I'm still very interested in the sex piece. And it wasn't until I saw Meet the Falkers that I was like, oh, wait, is this real? Like, you could really do this? I love this. I love Meet the Falkers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I... I decided to study sexuality, uh, looked into schools, Widener University came up and I ended up there, but it also became this way because people did keep telling me their business. Something about my face says, tell me your secrets. Um, and people were constantly telling me, their, telling me their secrets and I never shied away from sex or sexuality. Um, I moved through it the same, with the same level of practicality as why should, why should you buy almond milk versus this type of milk? I mean, I just, to me, it wasn't a big deal. And I got into that space because I wanted to know more about it, particularly for black women, particularly for dark skinned black women, Ooh, because again, sexuality again. looks so different. Yes, absolutely. And do you think people were attracted to you and felt comfortable being open with you because you yourself have a an open approach to sexuality? It's like, can you tell us about maybe your upbringing and, and relationship with sex? How did you, you know, how do you, how are you so confident? Uh, I'm not sure because I didn't get it at home. It was definitely more of a, I got my first period and it was don't get pregnant. I wasn't sure how to get pregnant though, but I knew I had better not. Don't do it. We don't know how it happens, but don't do it. Exactly. So what I learned, I mostly got from school, right? Fifth grade sex education, which was really more about like how to use a tampon and a pad. In high school, it was like them scaring you with birthing videos and then with the most advanced pictures of STIs in the world. And those things didn't really add to the conversation 
not really for me. And it felt like it was this great taboo, except my mom, one thing that she did give me was constantly telling me that like, you're smarter than most of the adults that I know, just act accordingly. So I figured, well, if I'm smarter than most of the adults, then it's stupid to make sex a secret. (laughs) Why are we relying on them to teach us about sex? So I relied on books. Um, I was really heavy into reading. I'm still heavy into reading. Back then I didn't have money. So I was always in a library back now, you know, now I got money and I'm in the library and the bookstores (laughs) and on Amazon and on Audible. It's ridiculous. This is why I don't, this is why I go hungry because I bought books. Listen, you're going to be hungry, but you're going to be smart. Okay. (laughs) Well read, entertained. I'm good. (laughs) that's part of where like the stuff around sexuality really came from and my comfort with it because I mean I remember reading Omar Tyree's Fly Girl I remember reading The Coldest Winter Ever and they did they weren't shy about sex so I figure these are the adults that you need to know about the adults that talk about sex very plainly I mean I read almost everything Zane ever wrote at the time granted it was probably also age inappropriate for me but it gave me an idea that there's this other part of the of life that was being held from me or sort of covered with STIs and unwanted pregnancies. So it gave me more space to see sexuality as something that could also be beautiful. Mm, I love that growth and curiosity and just, you know, just an ongoing arc of all of our journeys. And I think that's important to honor is that whether your childhood was, you know, I think for most of us, like you said, black women, dark skinned women, there's a lot of hypersexualization and there's a lot of, you know, protection around your body and don't wear this and don't do this, et cetera. So I think that believe it or not, most of us have kind of similar upbringings in terms of of how we were taught and, and the education that we, the lack of education for better words. I just loved in your bio that you said you're helping, you know, black women get free and fucked. So how exactly can we get there? What, like, what's the first, we're going to obviously, you know, like unfold so much on this topic, but what's the first thing that we can do to get free and fucked? You know, it's free, fabulous and fucked. Oh, I forgot. All three, because they are so important. Honestly, I think of it as in itself, it is already in order. We need to get free of supremacist culture and these ideologies that bar us access from pleasure. And then when we are feeling a little bit better, right, when we're not as heavy, like I feel like we're like bag ladies carrying all that crap on our bag, but mostly because we don't know that we're carrying it. Then the fabulous is you loving on you, liking you, loving on, you don't have to love yourself. I'm saying at the very least you can pretend, right? So feeling fabulous, building that self-esteem and understanding that self-esteem is not built in isolation, it's actually built in community, which means that pleasure, the pleasure that we're looking for when we're talking about a pleasure-filled life is it's community work. It's not just individual work. And then fucked that's, I mean, that is the pleasure right there, right? Yes. The part where you are experiencing it. And because you feel so fabulous and because you've gotten so free, it means it's easier to know what your sexual scripts are, your desires are, to communicate those desires, to say no thank you to the things that you don't want, and to let go and know that if you are with a partner who is not giving you what you want and is unwilling to try and meet you in the middle, that you can explore other relationship types or explore a different partner. 
Exactly. I mean, I think the trifecta of all of the points that you just laid out is really the key to to unlocking the most fabulous version of yourself and the most sexually liberated because we use the word sexually liberated, you know, so often, but what does that actually mean? Because you know, liberation is really, to me, it varies depending on each person's own definition of what, when they feel safe, what does, you know, consent look like? What do their partners look like? All those things. It's, it's a varying, you know, spectrum of liberation. But I will say in my group chat that this was something that was just discussed about how we're evolved at the point now where you just, you see the red flags from like three miles away. And you're like, you know what, maybe a year ago I would have engaged because Maybe I was feeling a little bit less confident about myself or thought I deserved this or thought, you know, okay, there's potential here, et cetera. Now we're like, nope, 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 bye, delete, unmatch, don't subscribe, do not subscribe. But I attribute <laughs> that to what you said of, of once you understand how much pleasure you deserve, once you understand what kind of relationship you deserve, everything else that's beneath that, you're just, you you shake it off. You sift it off. You don't even give it much of your energy. Absolutely. Those, those tri- the trifecta of free, fabulous, and fucked is really an emotional journey and an intellectual journey and a physical journey. How are sex and therapy intertwined? How is sex and mental health intertwined? They are so intertwined that if you're with a therapist who never mentioned sex, you're probably not with the right therapist. I understand that there are people with generalist practice. And at the same time, sex is such an interconnected part sexuality is such an interconnected part, right? So like sex is the what you do. And that might be hit or miss in any given therapeutic conversation that you're having. But the sexuality, the piece about who you are, how you show up in the world, those things cannot be missed. And what I have found is that I end up with a lot of clients who they've been with therapists. Usually I'm talking to Black women or women of color. They've been with a white therapist who is a part of the, I don't see color crew. Mm. And if you don't see color, you can't see your client. It means that you're not, you're not, you don't even see the fullness of who they are. You're not understanding the experiences that they've had because you're so busy being a part of colorblind politics. Furthermore, even when you with black folk, even if you're with a therapist of color, a lot of us don't talk about colorism at all. And so we're not seeing how our skin tones also help to color the lives that we have lived and how those things are impacting how we relate to ourselves mentally, emotionally, as well as sexually, as well as how we try to relate to others in mental, emotional, communicative, and sexual ways. All of it comes home to roost. Yes. I remember I wrote an article actually for Vice on this, on how to find a sex positive therapist and just the importance of finding someone who sees you in your wholeness and your entire existence and sexuality is a huge part of sexual identity. And especially I think during this time, women are undergoing this really powerful revolution about deciding how they show up in the world and sexual identity. If you're not including that, I just, I don't know that you're really invested in in seeing someone's full self. And I think also it's very important because if, if you find a sex therapist that isn't sex positive or understands um, you know, your desires and interest, that it's really easy for them to pathologize your sexual interests and say, okay, well, this is, you know, this is very unhealthy or why are you an ethical non-monogamous? Like you should be in monogamy. I think there are so many ways that it can go left <laughs> if you don't find the sex therapist who actually wants to Oh, all the way left. Yes, all the way left. They will have you doing a U-turn back into the early 1800s. If you're not careful, you're being able to show up as you are and having a therapist who understands that there are a variety of relationship types and that one 
is not superior to the other is important. Someone that understands that if you identify as pansexual or bi, that it doesn't mean that you have trouble choosing, right? They need to understand that, no, this is actually, this is my identity. This is the fullness of me. If you say that you are trans, this is the fullness of you. You're not some, you're not a confused person. You know exactly who the hell you are. So if this person can't see you in the fullness of your humanity, how can they offer you a human type of service. They can't. Mm. Period. Can you see me? Can you see the entire fullness of me? That's so important, especially for Black women who oftentimes don't feel seen in a lot of the environments that we show up in. It's like, wow, like at least your therapist, like, can you should see, you, you know, if I'm paying you, like I'm paying you to see me. That's exactly what I'm giving you my coins for. Word. But that hyper visibility, that hyper visible invisibility is so real because it has us constantly in this space where we are, yeah, we're hyper visible, but we're also being treated as though we are invisible. There, there's still the taking away of pieces of us and saying that, oh, those pieces don't matter when the to you is silent in that sentence, right? The pieces of me don't matter to you, which means I can't matter very much to you, which means I need to exit left and find somebody else. Absolutely. On to the next. Listen, there, there's a plethora of therapists out there that you can find. Like I say, dick is plentiful and listen, therapists are plentiful. So find you one that, that, that is to your liking. Okay. I love it. Yes. So I think that during the pandemic and probably over the last year, you know, Bell Hooks book, All About Love is making its rounds and, you know, on the gram and on the TikToks and people are really getting into it. And I think especially because, and you can tell me if you've witnessed this, but I find that there's a lot of conversations around, you know, I'm not dating this person unless you're in therapy and, you know, you need to be in therapy for me to even consider dating you. And I think that this book has opened up people's eyes considerably in terms of sex and dating and relationships. And obviously, you know, therapy is not a new concept. It's been going on for centuries and especially within Black people and Black communities and, you know, people of the diaspora, storytelling and giving wisdom has always been ingrained into just our being and our identity and how we connect with people and help people grow. So I just want to know if you can elaborate a little bit more on some of the common barriers that you have witnessed in terms of like childhood trauma or your parental relationships or friendships, what are some of the barriers that you've seen? You know, it serves as a really big barrier. And I don't know that people, I I don't think there's a full appreciation for it, right? So the things that we got in our childhood can very much inform how we relate to people moving forward, right? If you had um, a caregiver who was just like, you're so dumb. I don't know why you couldn't think of X, Y, and Z. It now puts you in the space where you're constantly thinking so far ahead. So you're anxious and you have anxious attachment. So when you're with somebody, you're present, but only to a point. You're anxious. You're present to the point where it's, oh, are you okay? Am I okay? Are we okay? So you're constantly checking in with them. Sometimes that can drive some people nuts. But other times it's like, no, I'm happy to reassure you. Sometimes that reassurance can also make it so that if there's a situation that goes down, you've now thought so many steps ahead and you forgot to be present with your partner. And that can cause strife between you and them. Our access to even loving on ourselves, right? And I always say loving on and not loving because you can choose whether or not you're going to love yourself. And people have used love as a weapon to say that if you don't love you, then no one else should. And that is the whole opposite of true. That is foolishness. And people have spent a lot of time trying to tell people that you're not worthy of love 
if you don't love yourself. And I'm just like, baby, who told you that? Because that sounds like some scarcity nonsense. Oof. And we want to live in an abundant mindset. Exactly. And so for people who are maybe dealing with knowing themselves or, or learn, yeah, I guess learning themselves more is the practice identifying maybe which childhood or familial or other traumas that exist. Is that part of knowing yourself better is actually identifying those traumas and knowing how to confront them? Sometimes your brain will keep those things from you because you are not ready for those. And I err on the side of honor your body. If your body is saying, no, stop, don't, then stop. No, don't. Sometimes we don't have consent because our our brains are super, they're miles ahead of what we think, right? Like we we on the conscious level, it's on that subconscious space. So it will snatch traumatic memories from you because you're not ready to process it. Stop trying to seek those things out. It's not ready to give it to you because you have not proven that you're in the space to handle it. You have not shown that you are. So it's going to keep it tucked away tight, right? So you might get flashes. You might be like, I don't even know why that triggered me so much because your brain will hold that piece away from you until you're ready to process. So like during, I had a client once that there was a confirmation hearing. It might've been Kavanaugh that she'd been in therapy with me for a few months. And that's when she remembered that she'd been sexually assaulted because her brain and her body knew that she was receiving care and that she would actually be able to navigate it successfully as opposed to doing more harm and damage to the self. Because remember, the self has one imperative, survival. So if it has to snatch a memory, maybe it will snatch you ball before it allows you to have it. So <laughs> Not snatch you ball, snatch the edges, Lord. Oh, no, ball, not an edge to be seen, not a baby hair anywhere, just gone. Because it needs you to be ready to actually do it. So same thing goes with for how we know ourselves. You don't need to know your trauma to know who you are. But you do need to know some of the things, I would say, grounded in pleasure, not trauma. What do you like? What foods do you enjoy? What textures do? What textures sort of make you do that shimmy shake and make you want to roll around it because it feels so good? How do you react on a hot day when you have cool water and are poolside? Seek out pleasure as a way to learn yourself, because very often we seek out trauma as a way to learn ourselves. And I'm not saying that there's not something to be learned there. I'm saying that you can also learn so much on the other side of the things that you enjoy, but we don't often seek those out. You know, it's easier. Sometimes it's easier to wallow than to be joyous. And I will say I'm guilty of that too. Sometimes it's just so nice to cuddle up and be sad under the covers and shed a little tear. You know, my little Pisces heart is super emotional and sensitive. (laughs) I love that though. You know, I do. Because that has value. It has value. And I think that has been my journey this, this year and over the last year is actually feeling all just the full range of emotions. And that can be sad sometimes and not beating myself up and saying like, why are you sad? Why are you like this? You should be get up. You should be outside. You should be partying. You should be doing all these things. It's like, no, I'm going to take this moment to just actually wallow in 
in, you know, whatever is getting me down in this moment. But then also really, like you said, you have to seek out the pleasure. You have to find the platonic pleasure, the sexual pleasure, the things that are actually bringing you joy. Because if not, it just, it feels almost impossible to survive. I know that that sounds very dramatic, but it's, it's like, if you don't know the pleasure for yourself. It's not dramatic. Yeah. If you don't define pleasure for yourself, then I don't really know how you're ever going to expand in ways that are beyond what we've been told is how you should experience pleasure. Exactly. That is a life of survival. That is not a life of living. This is also how when people say like, oh, I'm the ancestor's wildest dreams. I'm just like, no, you're not. (laughs) Because you're still in survival mode and they wanted to thrive. They wanted to grow. They wanted to be in places untold. And you allow these people at your job to snatch your happiness and to, and for our society has taught us that we're not even allowed to have pleasure except on maybe Friday and Saturday. And on Sunday, you should start getting ready for work, right? So people start feeling sad on Sunday because they have made it so that pleasure is a weekend activity and not a weekday activity. This is why I started a five-day pleasure challenge and people be mad at me like, well, can we start this on a Tuesday or can we start closer to the weekend? No, we start on Monday on purpose because you already know how to do weekend pleasure. You already know how to do weekend fun. What you don't know how to do is have pleasure during the weekday. And it's also five days because most of us are already in that space of, I could do two days of pleasure and then I got to take time off because otherwise I'm overindulging. I'm doing too much. I must not be seriously minded. And I'm like, you can be seriously minded about your pleasure. Yes. But most of us don't plan for pleasure on purpose. We are already in a space of, well, we're a little bit sad, a little bit depressed. And that is the norm. And that is okay. It's okay for you to be miserable or to not be okay more than it is for you to be, you know, exultant, excited to be feeling yourself. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the other emotions of being angry and sad, but you're also deserving of feeling happy, feeling content, feeling at peace. You're also worthy of those things. But for so very many of us, especially the the blacker that body, the less access you have to that or the less access the world would like you to have to that. If you are in a woman body or identify as a woman, the less access you have to that. So the people that get to be happy and content and feel good about themselves are rich white men. Mm. And where does that leave everybody else? Child in hell at the bottom, all the way down, <laughs> all the way down. And I think- And I understand it. But you know, you said something because I think it's so important because especially when it comes to pleasure and sex and dating specifically for black women is the understanding that you too get to choose how you engage in sexual relationships and in sexual partnerships. And you're not waiting to be chosen. And I feel like that just takes all of your power away from being autonomous from having control over your desires and what turns you on and communicating your desires and then feeling heard and seen about what makes you feel good. What are some of the ways that you can encourage people to actually choose how they engage in their sexual identity and experiences? First, you have to know that you're not, quite frankly. You have to recognize the ways in which you're not. We ha- we live in a pick-me culture. And I think that people often think I only mean romantically, and I don't. I mean that our entire culture is based off the pick me. It is asking, constantly asking someone to pick me, choose me, love me, 
we're constantly in that space. We are waiting for someone else to pick us and we won't even pick us. And if you don't realize that you are making choices, because, you know, this is where people get mad at me, right? You have to take responsibility for the fact that you aren't picking you either, that you are getting something from constantly begging for someone's love, affection, attention, the sex that you want, whatever it is that you're begging for, you put yourself in the position to constantly be begging because you ain't picked you yet. So I'm like, well, you want to get out of pick me culture? Start with picking yourself. And when you pick yourself, knowing that there's that space where you're understanding a little bit more about you, that free part, how are you impacted by white supremacy culture? How are you impacted by male supremacy culture? How are you impacted by heterosexist um, supremacy culture? How are you impacted by monogamy culture? knowing how you are impacted and whether did you choose those things or were they chosen for you? Now we have to go back. The thing that we are already practicing and ask, is that something that I want from me or is it something that I do because it's the easier thing to do because I never even thought about other options that would be available to me? Look, I know it's hard for some people out here. It'd be hard out here for a pair. Start with something simple. What do you want to eat today that diet culture did not pick? Mm, Yes. Start with selecting simple things and then move it into more grand things. You're still in pick me culture, but now you're picking you. You're picking the thing that is going to feel good to you. you you're checking in with your body about, oh, well, do we want this or do we want this? We want neither. Okay, what's the third option that we might want instead? Oh, well, what kind of water do we want to drink or what kind of beverage do we want to drink? Then before you know it, it's, oh, well, what kind of partner do we want to have? Are we okay with that? Mm, No, we're not. We're going to let this person go to their destiny. It doesn't mean that they are a wrong person. It means they're just not the right person for us. Absolutely. You get into a space where you start picking picking yourself over corporations. You pick yourself over other, your family members, because sometimes your family members require you to pick them before you ever pick you. Like, how do you make sure that you're getting the thing that you want from the spaces that you are in? Because nobody is your number one but you. This is why I say self-concept. Got to get free so that we can feel fabulous so that we can live that whole fucked life, the fucked, the pleasure life. Yes. So what I'm hearing also is is leaning into more intuitive thinking and practices. And to your point, when you eat, when you wake up in the morning, intuitively, your body's like, hey, I'm a little hungry. So then you feed your body, right? Or if it's like you're a little thirsty, intuitively, your body like signals to you all of these things. And as you get older, you're more aware of those signals. And they're they're probably very subtle, but you're more in tune with your body and how it responds. So intuitively, you should also approach how you engage sexually and in relationship. It's like, hey, I need intuitively knowing myself, I know that I need a little bit more quality time. I need a little bit more physical touch. You're not asking for too much. You're literally just asking for your basic needs from a partner. Am I getting this right? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's the way that you feel seen and cared for. And because you already know how to care for yourself, you make it easier to communicate. And hopefully you get to a space where you also recognize that monogamy is great. And I'm not saying it's not, but we've also been taught that romantic partners should be your end all be all while we let go of every other relationship, sometimes a romantic partner is delightful and yet there's a need that cannot be met by them. Whether it's because they don't want to or because they don't do it quite in the way you need, but that's what friends, families, and if you're not into monogamy, other lovers and other relationships are for. 
there is no perfect person. There is no the one. And it's really about how you're going to negotiate and, and, you know, meet, meet other people halfway, or, you know, sometimes it's 75% of the way and the other times it's 30% of the way, et cetera. And so we mentioned it in the beginning about, you know, how people are calling people out, saying, I only want to date someone in therapy, et cetera. So do, I feel like the question is, do people who are in therapy, do they have better sex? Are they better sexual partners? It depends on if they're doing work in therapy, because some people are there to be there, but they're not there to work. Hmm. And so what is working, what does working in therapy mean? Working in therapy means that you're actually showing up, you're being vulnerable, you're saying the things that need to be said and not spending the whole time bullshitting about something that your coworker said yesterday, because you and I both know that's not why you came to therapy. You didn't come to therapy because of the coworker from yesterday, but somebody will spend an entire 30, 45 minutes on that and didn't get to the thing that will actually move them forward. If you're looking for a partner who's in therapy, you you better be very clear on what you want them to be working on in therapy. What do you want them to have learned from it? How do you believe that that thing that you're asking for is going to show up within the context of a relationship? Because other, I'm like, people go to therapy because they got a hangnail last Tuesday (laughs) and they just need to process this hangnail from last Tuesday. If that's okay with you, cool. They went to therapy. But if what you're saying is, I, I want you to work out things about your parents and how that shows up in relationships. I want you to talk about your attachment style. Now you're talking something very specific. So I, I personally think it's very rich to be like, uh, if you're not in therapy, you can't date me. I'm like, I mean, yeah, you get to set that boundary for yourself. And at the same time, if you're not, if you're unclear about what that boundary even means, it's already ineffective. Listen, I saw somewhere it said, if you're not horny, you're not healthy. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all the things. When you have all that together, when you're working on all those things, to me, the rest, the desirability and sex, all of that stuff will kind of fall into place. It just falls into place. Dr. Donna, I want to thank you so much for your time and coming on. I feel, listen, I'm already free, fabulous and fucked, okay? I, well, I mean, I am, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I got more free from this conversation and I hope that <laughs> listeners have taken away some gems and I'm sure that they have. And so we want to support you and we want to continue to hear more about your work. And so please let us know how we can find you, how to stay in touch with you. Are you accepting new clients? Give it to us all. My practice, Anod Wright, is accepting new clients. That's A-N-N-O-D-R-I-G-H-T. We are accepting clients. I think we got like seven spots left. But first of us, we're looking for another therapist to join the team. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Oriowo. And of course, visit me at DonnaOreo.com. Sign up for the newsletter and everything. Because when I tell you we got things going on, I mean, we got things going on. We do the five-day pleasure challenge. We have the 30-day pleasure principle. That's about getting that mind right, that mindset around pleasure. Come on now, we got you. And even doing later this year, the very first inaugural PTO. That's Plan to Orgasm Retreat. Oh, oh, okay. Well, listen, I, I'm going to need to find out more about that. What, wait, can you just share a little, a little sentence? What is the PTO? Tell us, please. PTO is getting to a place where you actually center pleasure in your life, but we're going to start with this retreat. So we're going to do it on vacation, but you know, we're going to unpack the things that need to be unpacked so that we can pack back in the things that we want to keep and do it within a curated community of like-minded sisters. Listen, you heard it here first on the Pro Hope Podcast. Thank y'all for listening and we'll see you next week. Peace out.